Do you often find yourself reading something from the Bible and it just jumps out at you? Uh, all of a sudden it could be a lesson, uh, an issue. The church is dealing with this. Uh, this is what our country is dealing with. This is what society is dealing with. Wow, I, I didn't see it that way before. Or this smacks me right across the cheek and I, I needed to read that. I needed to get that and, and understand that it's a bit of a wake-up call. Well. As, as we've been, been talking, uh, we've been covering Malachi, and this is uh, part two, and it will end with part two, unless I keel over on you here today and have to finish later. But I plan to end today uh, uh, two, two messages on the subject of Malachi and his words. Last time we talked uh, primarily about Malachi 4 and dealt with the Elijah prophecies of, of, of the day in preparations for, for Christ's uh, first coming, also the end-time Elijah, uh, some, some of those thoughts, the, the work of Elijah himself when he was here, the work, as we mentioned, of, of John the Baptist, and, and, and what this, this figure uh, prior to Christ's second coming uh, will, will be doing as is prophesied. So we spent a lot of time with that in Malachi 4, and we also touched on Malachi 3, the first several verses there, as he talked about uh, this, this messenger to uh, prepare the way before Christ, and also the messenger of the covenant, uh, Jesus Christ himself, uh, who served in that capacity as the messenger of the covenant, uh, the new covenant in that respect. So today we're going to deal with the rest of, of Malachi. It's a four-chapter book, and we're going to, deal with, going to deal with Malachi 1, 2, and 3. There are several things about this book that smack me in the face, uh, smack me across the cheek, uh, wallop me upside the head with a two-by-four occasionally. And, and again, as I mentioned, I see things as, as I think we, we both will see today as we reflect on uh, what we read that, uh, that speak to the situation that we see going on in our nation, what we'll see uh, going on as we go forward, and what could also, elements that could be sneaking into us collectively as, as a congregation and as, as the church, the body of Christ. So uh, as uh, I tried to do with Mr. Newkirk's uh, special music and reflected on life, uh, I would ask you to get the subroutines going uh, today as we go through this message and, and reflect uh, as we read through the, the scriptures. What, what kinds of things are going on in my life? Well, you can look at me if you want, but I'm, when I say my, I mean, I mean your lives. What, what kinds of things are going on in your lives? What kinds of things am I thinking about in my life that, uh, that maybe need to be a bit of a wake-up call for me? What kinds of things do we see, trends in the church, positive, negative? Are, are we aware of that? Are we aware of our responsibility individually within the collective body of Christ to do our part to strengthen those areas where we may be weak? And what are we seeing going on around us? Uh, Many put this book uh, somewhere around the, the time of Nehemiah as we talked last time. Nehemiah, from what we can tell, came, came back to, from Persia, he was the cupbearer of the king, came back uh, from Persia, came to the Holy Land, to, to Jerusalem in around 445 or so B.C., and, and he did a lot to restore everything. We know the story. He uh, took care of uh, shoring up the wall and, and helping uh, as well with restoring worship as it, as it should be. And then he went back, back to the king. He went back and served there. As uh, We won't turn there today, but Nehemiah 13 talks about that. You may want to, want to read some of that. But he goes back and serves, serves the king. And then in Nehemiah 13, it says, you know, he... He, uh, he came back. He wanted to come back to Jerusalem, and he had heard that things weren't going well. And he got back, and things, things went, went south in a hurry. That they had uh, some of the priests had, I think it was Tobias, uh, who was there serving, work, serving uh, working in the temple. They had rooms that were supposed to be storehouses for tithes and offerings, and they had cleared all that out and 
put Tobias in there and he was living life large, uh, shouldn't have even been a part of that at all. The, the Levites and, and the priesthood were out working the fields and they didn't, weren't even able to serve in the temple to the degree that they should because they, they weren't being cared for so they could serve the people in the capacity that they were intended to serve. So things went bad quickly. They often, uh, often uh, many, many uh, common commentaries will state they think that probably there was a strong likelihood that Malachi could have been written during this time that Nehemiah had gone back to Persia before Nehemiah came back again. So that would have been maybe sometime in the early 430s BC, maybe uh, 420s. Uh, we don't know for certain when that this prophecy occurred. It may even have been uh, after uh, Nehemiah uh, came back the second time, and, and, and sometime even even later, which would have, could have been you know again early 420s or so. We just don't know. But for the most part, it appears that that this, this prophecy is one of the last ones that was written prior to, as we talked last time, prior to uh, Zacharias and, and uh, Elizabeth and John the Baptist come on the scene in the Gospels. We see this, this big gap, at least in what, in what is uh, God's word time-wise. Time Malachi, uh, one of the meanings of Malachi is the messenger of Yahweh. What did this messenger of Yahweh give to the people at that time there in Jerusalem. Let's look at that today. Uh, we'll, uh, again, we'll ask ourselves when we go through this, what are the parallels going on in the descendants of Israel today, the modern day descendants of the 12 tribes? Are there any parallels or trends or attitudes or approaches affecting the church? Are there any attitudes uh, affecting us individually? And we'll also look at one of the more intriguing passages that I find uh, in, in the book of Malachi, one that is probably, I would say, probably for us, maybe the, the second most familiar or, or the most familiar passage in the book of Malachi. Uh, one of the most familiar ones is what we covered last time, Malachi 4, as uh, he says, uh, turning the hearts of the fathers to children, fathers to uh, uh, children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with total destruction. But this is that other one that we'll, uh, we'll uh, spend time discussing at the very end. Charles Feinberg's uh, minor, The Minor Prophets serves as an excellent resource for looking at the minor prophets uh, that are uh, listed, in, that are recorded here in, in God's Word. But if you're, if you're a student of of, of that and love, love to have uh, the books to, to look for resources, especially in this area, I would highly recommend Charles Feinberg's book, The Minor Prophets. Let's look at this story today. I think many of us are aware of, of this prophecy, but let's, uh, let's take a look at it and see what we can learn from it. The book takes on what's called a dialectic method of instruction. From Webster's, this dialectic, it's a system of argument. So there's an, an argument going on or an exposition in which the conflict between two contradictory issues uh, is, is resolved. We see this going through throughout the book, throughout the book. We see it right at the very beginning. Let's address that as we start through these eight issues today. We'll spend a hunk, a hunk of time uh, on number one, this one, uh, but then we'll fly through the others relatively quickly. Reflect, reflect as we go through these. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. This, this burden uh, oracle uh, that, that he gives also can be considered uh, a, a burden. It's a heavy burden because uh, it's, it's, this book carries with it uh, a, a lot of doom. It's a lot, a lot of negative, a lot of, uh, of things that he takes uh, the people of that day to task for doing or for not doing. So let's look at the very first one. Verse 2. Verse 2. This is God saying this. He says, I have loved you, says the Eternal. I have loved you. And yet you say, well, in what way have you loved us? What, what have you done for us lately, God? Well, what have you done? How have you helped us lately? You know, as we, as we think about the situation that we see in our society today, in our nation, 
There are many pondering, well, is there even really a God? Is there a God? Is there really a God that is, is involved in, in the, the events of, of mankind? If so, does he really even care about us? Uh, as we see all the suffering in the world, could this, could this God even really love us? Uh, does our nation recognize its blessings come from God's favor? I uh, was looking recently, and I, I know you probably heard this before, but I, I'd like to cover some of this now. As, as we think about this thing of, 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 is there a God? Is God involved in, has God been involved in our lives? Does he, does he really love us? I found this, this interesting. I'll just read a few excerpts, but bear with me as we hear the words of the President of the United States of America. By the President of the United States of America, a proclamation. Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of the Almighty God. Whoa, 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 whoa. Which president are we talking about? <laughs> think, think about that. This is the first president of the United States. He makes this statement as a, this is a given. This is understood. We, we get this. Where, whereas it is the duty of all nations, you know, we think of, think of Romans 1, Romans 1 and what uh, uh, Paul says about how uh, because of you know, the creation around us, it just, it screams that there has to be a creator. There, there is a God. And, and for those that deny that, he gives them over to strong delusion. Uh, look, at, look at the difference of what this president is saying. Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly implore his protection and favor, and whereas both houses of Congress have, by their joint committee, requested me to, quote, recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many and signal uh, favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportun opportunity peaceably to establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. Therefore, I, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November, to be devoted by the people of the United States to the service of the great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all good that was, that is, or ever will be. Just think, think about where we are as a nation and, and where, where we were and, and uh, to, to where this has, has, has dropped. And I, and I think, okay, so I come back to, I come back to Malachi and, and I think, okay, this is 430s, 420s. They went into captivity 585, 586 B.C. Daniel's 70-year prophecy that God gives him is fulfilled. They're, they're there in Babylon for 70 years taken to Babylon, those, those who survived, they're taken to Babylon, they're, they're in Babylon for 70 years, and according to the prophecy of God, they're able to come back to the land in 515, 516-ish, and here they've been there for some 70, 80 years, and they've seen, they've seen through just a recent 100, 150 years or so uh, of, of God fulfilling his promise even after they had sinned and, and through the prophets telling them this is what you're going to have to do Jeremiah said okay you know have families this and that you're, you're going to come back to the land they came back to the land here they are back at the land God gave them restored them back the, their homeland and what are they saying how have you loved us what have you really done for us lately God how have you really loved for given love to us and and as we think of our nation today and where our nation is going and where uh, our first president uh, looked, he, you know, he, he was not a member of the body of Christ. He didn't understand God's laws and, and, and the spiritual intent of the law to the degree that God has given his church, the body of Christ. But that Romans 1 aspect of, of seeing the basics of, a, of understanding of what of, of, of that there must be a God, it, it's there, it's apparent, and he recognized this. Uh, he goes on to say, as I uh, wrap up his, his uh, last uh, statements in that, uh, in that edict, 
and also that we may then unite in most humbly offering our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of nations and beseech him, him as in God, to pardon our national and other transgressions, to enable us all, whether in public or private stations, to perform our several and relative duties properly and punctually, to render our national government a blessing to all the people by constantly being a government of wise, just, and constitutional laws, discreetly and faithfully executed and obeyed, to protect and guide all sovereigns and nations, especially such as have shown kindness to us, and to bless them with good governments, peace, and concord, to promote the knowledge and practice of true religion and virtue and the increase of science among them and us, and generally to grant unto all mankind such a degree of temporal prosperity as he alone knows to be best. Given under my hand at the city of New York the third day of October, A.D. 1789, George Washington. He goes on to say in Washington's uh, circular letter to the states on June 8th of 1783, he says this, I now make it my earnest prayer that God would most graciously be pleased to dispose us all to do justice, to love mercy, and to demean ourselves. A little uh, bit from Micah there, isn't it? Uh, that passage that, that's quoted. Which were the characteristics of the divine author of our blessed religion and without an humble imitation of whose example in these things we can never hope to be a happy nation. The last uh, quote from Washington's General Orders, November 27, 1779, whereas it becomes us humbly to approach the throne of Almighty God. Just think of that statement alone, to, to say that now. What if, uh, I, if I were still a principal in, in a high school in Oregon, and I were to get up and say, Let, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this in history class. Let's talk about the degree to which our nation was, was founded uh, on this principle with individuals who, who recognized uh, the, the, the sovereign God. Well, what if we were to say that now? What if one, no, you can't, you can't, you can't put those, those, two, uh, those two together. Whereas it becomes us humbly to approach the throne of Almighty God with gratitude and praise for the wonders which his goodness has wrought in conducting our forefathers to this Western world, and above all, that he hath diffused the glorious light of the gospel, the glorious light of the gospel, whereby through the merits of our gracious Redeemer, we may become the heirs of his eternal glory. I, I just find that fascinating, that, 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 that was, those were the words of the first president of the United States. And think about the, the degree to which Israel slid and how quickly they slid. And, and we think about the, the work of the God of this world and how quickly he can pull uh, mankind away from something that uh, many of the leaders recognized at least was this great hand from somewhere that was, was guiding and directing world events and that we should, we should serve this being to the degree that we have knowledge to do so. It's, it, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting world in which we find ourselves now. Look at Malachi 1, verse 2 again, as he says, uh, uh, as, as we read that, I, I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord, yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, as uh, as uh, the Bible reader's uh, com uh, companion uh, states, that, that hated here is used as a legal term, meaning the decisive rejection of a claim. Uh, he, he took Jacob into covenant, but he refused and rejected Esau the elder uh, because the elder would serve uh, the younger. It was a, a covenantal thing that God determined. And even though Esau said, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to raise up, up and return and build the desolate places, uh, he says in verse 4, they may build, but I, but I threw down again. They shall be called the territory of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. Verse 5, your eyes shall see and you shall say the Lord is magnified beyond this, uh, 
this, the border of Israel. Well, what about, what about us? You know, as, as I think, you know, does our nation uh, recognize God's favor of his physical people, that he keeps his promises, the promises that he made to the patriarchs of which we're recipients by living in this land? What about us spiritually? What about us spiritually? Uh, when God says to us, I have loved you, says the Lord, when he says that to you and me, do we ever find ourselves saying, well, in what way have you loved me? What have you done for me lately? I'm dealing with this, I'm dealing with that, I'm dealing with this stress, I'm dealing with this complication. This situation has not worked out. I've got this situation in the family that has been an incredible oppression. I've had these health issues. All of these kinds of things can come upon us sometimes, and we can find ourselves thinking or letting that come into our minds. Well, in what way, in what way have you really, have you really loved me? What about us? Do, do you really care about me? You know, Hebrews reminds us that as a father chastens his child, uh, God must sometimes chasten us out of his love for us. Parents do that. He did that with Israel, but he, he restored them. And, and they had been uh, chastened for their disobedience, but but again, this is written as a time in a time that Judah had returned from captivity. They had been able to come back to the land. How could they not see God's love in that? How could they not grasp that? How could Israel not see God's love in delivering them from Egypt, uh, in oppressive slavery? How could we ever doubt God's love for us in how he has delivered us? How could we ever doubt that? And yet... Uh, we have to work on it. We have to work on it to, to remember God's love for us. Let me give you a little example. Uh, not, not, that, that not that I'm struggling with trying to remember that God loves me and looks after me. This week, this week it was, I can't even remember what, this is how quickly these things go. It, it was either Tuesday night or Wednesday night. Uh, went to bed, had a good night's sleep, and woke up the next morning and in, in the house, uh, relaxing, talking with, uh, with Lisa in the morning. Christy had already gotten up and gone to work. She had work at 7 o'clock, so she was out of the uh, house by about 10 till 7. I had to take something out to the garbage or something, so I stepped outside, took care of that, came back in, and smelled gas. And I thought, what? What in the world? Uh, went over and looked at the gas stove, and one of the burners was turned on, and it went past the what do you call that thing that clicks? The, um, what's it called? Pilot light, pilot light, yeah. So the pilot light, uh, it, went, it had gone past that and, and was full on, but there was no flame. And, uh, and I thought, uh-oh. Uh, I talked with, with uh, Christy when she came home from work later that day, and I said, did you turn on, speaking of, of uh, fires. No, I'm kidding. I heard that. But, but uh, speaking, so I asked her, I said, you know, did you turn on the stove this morning? And she said, no. But th they had turned that on last night. So that, that stove uh, had been on, that burner had been on all night, uh, probably about uh, 14 hours. And I thought, unbelievable. You know, I could have, I could have, lit a match or, or some kind of little thing triggered and all of a sudden boom it, it it's all it's all up in smoke including my body uh, and our body and and yet and you know at the time i i thanked god for that and i thought wow god wants us around a little bit longer but you know a day or two afterwards i i didn't i didn't think about it, i forgot about it and not until i went to do something at the stove i really oh yeah, that, that happened uh, just yesterday. But it's, it's so quick. You know, God, God intervenes for us. We could be thankful for it at the time. But then, as, as time progresses, we can get caught up in the other things that we're doing. And, and sometimes we can, it, it's just not on the forefront of our minds. You know, when, when is, he's got eight things here that he addresses with, with the people in Malachi's day. And what one does he list first? 
The first one he lists is this situation about the, bre- the, the people of the day saying, in what way have you loved us? And, and, I, and I submit to you, I think, because that is central. It's central to our life as Christians that we must, everything must stem from a realization that God loves us. He's called us to this way of life. He's given us this wonderful, incredible calling as his children to be teachable as we, we talked about in the sermonette. And, and, and to, to, to have this opportunity at this time to be a part of this, it all stems from his love for us and out of that, that genuine deep appreciation for God and all that he's done, we return back to him thanks in the way that we live and by the way that we talk to our great creator. It all stems from that. When that gets wonky, brethren, when, that, when it doesn't start with that, it's trouble. It's trouble in River City, and we need a band. We need trombones. We need 76. We need all kinds of things. Everything begins to go south. And, and those of us uh, in the audience here that have struggled with that sometimes, recognizing, where, does God really love me? Does God really care about me? Is, is God willing to be actively involved in my life? Those of you that are here that know you have struggled with that, you know where it takes you. You know where it takes you. It is a dark place, and it is difficult to climb out of that. But as later passages talk, talk about even in this, this book, God gives us the opportunity to come back out of that and to always stay in a state of appreciation. When, that is, when that's firing, when we're firing all, on all cylinders with that concept, then we can go. We can go in a, in a very positive direction. Let's look at the, uh, a passage in Romans, and then we'll move to the second point. Romans 1 uh, speaks to, to this because Romans 1 brings us to the title of uh, the message today as we talk about these three chapters of, of Malachi and these, these eight issues that God has. Uh, I have loved you. How have you loved me? That, that's the first issue is, is they did not reflect upon God's love for them. Paul speaks to this, this deep sense of appreciation in Romans 1, uh, verse 1, as he, he, he does his greeting, and, and then he states you know, he, that he was separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Verse 3 of Romans 1, concerning his, his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Then he says, through him we, so he's talking about we, the, the, the apostles, he says, through him we have received grace and apostleship. They are, they are the ones sent by Jesus Christ for obedience to the faith and was sent among all nations for his name. Uh, an incredible calling, an incredible priceless uh, calling that Paul recognized God gave him in his mercy, uh, gave to, to, to Paul. Verse 6, but not only that, he says, but among whom you also, you and I uh, here today, the, the, those of the church in Rome, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. The called, as Romans 8.28 says, uh, you know, the, uh, all things work together for good to those who love God and who are the called. We are the called one. It all stems from God's love reaching out towards us toward, to calling us to this way of life. The called of Jesus Christ, verse 6. To, verse 7, to, who, uh, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that was his greeting. Verse 8, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, uh, a true Texan at heart. Uh, and he says that, that your faith is spoken of throughout uh, the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means now at last I may find, I may find a way in the, with, in the will of God to come to you. I long to see you 
that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established. That is, uh, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith that we have. There's that encouragement that's going on within the body of Christ, within, with, within the ministry and within the, the brethren and with all of them together, that, that encouragement and strengthening that they feel and, and experience as a people. Notice back in verse 9, and this uh, gets to the, the, the title of the message today that we'll see uh, come uh, jump out at us in, in the book of Malachi. He makes this statement, God is my witness whom I serve, he says, with my spirit or as the margin renders, as I serve in my spirit in the, in the gospel of his son. I believe what he's getting at here when he says that, he's not just saying I serve in, I, I serve and do this is what it's what I do I serve but he but he's making the statement of I serve in my spirit it, with with my whole being who I am as an individual I completely give that uh, over in the gospel of his son the title of today's message as we go through this is this self-reflection this this taking a look at our own lives as, as the subroutines are running, and the title is, Take Heed to Your Spirit. Take Heed to Your Spirit. Paul says in, in Romans 1.9 that I, in a sense, I have taken heed to my spirit. I, I have taken heed to what I'm doing, and I serve uh, in the gospel of, of, of God and the gospel of the kingdom, uh, the coming kingdom of God, the gospel of, 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 of Jesus Christ, of who this great being was and his role in, in the entirety of, of God's plan. I, I serve with my whole being of who I am uh, in, in, that, in that calling. Do we take heed to our spirit? Let's go back now to Malachi and look at a second area. A second one here, Malachi 1, verse 6. As we look at our nation, as we look at the church, as we look at our lives individually, uh, do any of these uh, yield areas where we uh, may may need to write our course slightly. Or are we right on track as we take heed to, to our spirit? Uh, the second one is, is found in Revelation, uh, Malachi 1, verse 6. A son, a son honors his father, and a servant is his master. If then I am the father, God says, God, God sees himself and wants us to view him as the father. If then I am the father, where is my honor, he says. Uh, where is my reverence, says the Lord, to you priests who despise my name. Yet you say, well, how have we despised your name, God? Well, what have we done to you to despise your name? Well, one, one of the ways uh, is to not recognize that he love them, as we saw in that first point. But, you know, if we were to, to go through this dialectic approach uh, and, and think about this, we'll read more here about it here in just a second, but uh, have we done that? Surely we haven't despised God's name. Uh, has our nation despised God's name? Well, we, we, we see that that's not uh, difficult to answer. It's so sad to see even from, again, the founding, uh, founding Father's documents to where we are today in our present documents. How is God's name despised? How is he not honored? God explains how as we go to the third controversy, which is tied to the second. And, and this, this passage can, can speak to all of us. Uh, another way uh, we, we can despise God's name is brought out in this third issue. Let's look at it here in verse, verse 7. Verse 7, he says, You offer defiled food on my altar in that day. But you say, okay, wait a second. How, how have we defi defiled you? And he says, by saying the table of the Lord uh, is to be despised, as the margin renders. The table of the Lord is contemptible. He says, when you offer the blind as, sac as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? So he's saying that they weren't, as they were coming before God to, to give their offerings, they weren't giving the best. They weren't following the, the teachings of, of the law, which stated 
the, the quality of the sacrifice or the quality of the offering that they would present. Uh, in, in put defiled food on my altar. I think you're ahead of me as we think spiritually how we can do that. But let's uh, continue here. He says, uh, verse 8, So when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer them to your governor, the, the person that's in charge at the time. Offer them to them. What, what do you think he would say? Would he be pleased? Would he accept you favorably? Says the, says the Lord of hosts. Uh, so it's kind of an using irony here as as he's going after that. So are they more sensitive to okay? So say for instance, you know, some some super movie star is 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 coming to our house for dinner. I'm trying to think. I was trying to think of something current in Sherman, and I really struggled. But then I thought, okay, there's there's an actor. I I think he's pretty cool. I kind of like him. It's a Chris Pratt. Anybody know Chris Pratt? He was in one of the Avengers, uh, the, the one, the, I get this messed up, Guardian of the Galaxy, the one who listens to the cassette tapes of like 1970s music. I guess that's probably why I think he's really cool. But anyway, so, uh, you know, this, this guy, he's, he's funny, he's sharp, uh, uh, and he's, he's a bit goofy, but it just seems like a really, really neat guy. I kind of think, you know what, I'd like, I'd like to get to know that guy. I'd like to sit down and have a talk with him, maybe have a beer with him. And what would it be like if Chris Pratt gave us a call and said, hey, you mind if I pop over to the house? I, I'd, I'd be relatively excited to get, get to hang out with, with Chris Pratt. Uh, but what, 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 is, what is he getting at here? He's getting at, I, I am the father of the universe. I, I love you. You have the opportunity to be a part of, of my family. A son honors his father, and we as God's people have the opportunity to come into his throne room, the, the, the throne in the Holy of Holies in heaven as we pray to him, the great God of everything that is is so beyond any individual on any level that, that you, you, we can't even describe that there, that there is no comparison. And he's saying, where is, where is that honor? Would, would, would we even, do we recognize what we're doing? He's saying here, did they recognize what they were doing by offering the, the lame and the blind in these, in, in these sacrifices? So again, I think, okay, yes, we do have access uh, to God the Father. We are to be instant in prayer, constantly communicating with him, but there must always be not only that deep reverence of the opportunity that we have uh, to interact with this being, but also uh, the, the degree to which we must be very, very careful to do things as our great God instructs us to do. We don't get so casual with this, with this being that it, it's not a big deal. It, it's a big deal to have the, the ruler of the universe in our lives and for us to be a part of, of his life and his calling. Will he accept you favorably? Verse 10, uh, who is there even among you who would shut the door so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. The thought here on this passage, a couple of thoughts. One, uh, one offered the thought that it may be that some of the, the priests demanded a price for e even the smallest of things. So to even come in, they would shut the doors and not allow people even in unless they paid some money under the table to the priest to come in and do that. Some think it may be a reference to that. Others think that, uh, no, it's meaning something else. It's meaning because of all this corruption that's going on and people not taking it seriously, someone should come in and just stand up and shut the doors and close that out, close that off until the people get their attitudes straight and come in and, and not even come in before the Lord to offer this unless they're doing that with, with the right kind of offering and, and in a right uh, framework. I, I think either works. I probably lean a little bit more towards that latter, uh, latter uh, explanation. But <clears throat> again here, it's, it's, it's talking about the degree to which we, we come before God and we can defile his altar by the way in which we interact before him and the way in which we, as the temple of God, 
behave. Uh, we, we, can, we can, by our actions, as the body of Christ, as the temple of God, put forward a, a, a contemptible sacrifice if we're not fully serving God as we ought. So he says in verse 11, for from the rising of the sun even to its going down, this is very much a millennial uh, passage here that even goes into the great white throne judgment period. But uh, my, he says, when it, it'll come to a time when my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. That, that, is, it, it, that is where things are going when Jesus Christ returns and begins to work with Israel and all the nations. So do we, as the Israel of God, as, as the nation of God now, the, the called out ones from God, do we emulate this kind of behavior? Do we, do we offer a pure offering? Do we, do we consider God great as we interact with him? Or are we like Ephesus? You know, man, I've been in this thing for a long time. Yeah, I'm here today, I'm, but uh, I'm, I'm kind of tired. You know, I'm tired. It's, it's been a long haul, and I just don't have that fire like I used to. I'm alive, but I'm dead. I'm a little bit like Sardis. Yeah, I'm here, but I'm, I'm kind of I'm dead. Or I've got it going on, but I don't have it going on, like Laodicea. All those things uh, can can come in uh, if we allow it. But to recognize uh, this, is, this is who we are and this is the opportunity that we have to serve God and, and we must take that very, very seriously. Okay, so uh, continuing on then, uh, let's, uh, let's go now <clears throat> to verse 13. Not only is it defiled, but he says, oh, you say, what a weariness, and you sneer at it, and bring the stolen, the lame, the sick. And, and uh, he said, should I accept this from your hand? Cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow and, and sacrifices instead what is blemished. For he says, for I am a great king, God says here, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. You know, you think about, you, we, I read that, and I think, he's, he has to say this here, doesn't he, as he's talking to them. I am a great king. Does he have to say that for us? Do we have to have him remind us? I am a great king? Uh, hopefully, hopefully not. He had to with them to, to get them to recognize this is, this is who this being is whom we serve. So coming now to, uh, to, to chapter 2 and in, in looking in... Uh, verse 1, he continues this, this discussion of the defiling of the table of, of the Lord, this third point. So let's continue. He says, if you will not hear, and if you will not take it to heart, there's another uh, take heed to your spirit kind of a thing. If, if you will not hear and not take it to heart to give glory to my name, he says, I'll send a curse on your... Uh, I will curse your blessings. I'll send a curse upon you. Yes, I've cursed them already because you do not take it to heart. Says it again. But I'll rebuke your descendants. I'll spread refuse on your faces. Not a pleasant sight or thought to consider. Uh, the refuse of your solemn feasts it means nothing to me. I'll wipe, I'll take you away with it. And then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord. My covenant was with him, one of life and peace. The covenant God had, had made with the, the Levites and the priests, he, he gave them to him that he, that he might fear me. So he feared me, verse 5, and was reverent before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and turned many away from iniquity. Those that are in the, the service of, of, the, of the ministry, uh, we look at passages like that, and, and we take that very seriously. It's, it's critical for us to, to do that. And we, as, as part of the body of Christ, take this very seriously. Is the law of truth in our mouths? Is there any injustice that's ever uh, on our lips? Do we, do we walk with God in peace and equity? Do we see it as our role in the way we live our lives and the way we interact with others to help turn others away from iniquity? 
For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But that was not the case. They had, they had departed from the way. They'd caused many to stumble at the law, corrupted, because they hadn't kept his way and, show, and, and shown partiality in the law of God. Boy, that can happen, and uh, that, that has happened down through the years in the church. It has happened uh, with individuals. It's happened as the church has slid a little bit at different times, uh, depending on the leadership. And, and God in his, his mercy has helped us turn back and get back on track. But it's there, it's there and it can, can sneak in at any time. And we as God's people uh, must be aware of that and constantly petitioning God for guidance and direction so we go forward. Okay, that was three. All right, let's look at the fourth one. We'll go through these uh, pretty quickly now. Uh, this fourth one deals with, as, as we run the subroutines in our lives, we see uh, an aspect of what's called, you know, what we would call spiritual infidelity. And then he, then he all of a sudden kind of switches gears and gets into the physical infidelity that, that he sees going on in the nation. Malachi 2 verse 10. He says, again, a reference to God as our spiritual father here. Do we not have all one father? Has not one God created us? He says, well, then why do we deal treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of the fathers? Judah has dealt treacherously and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution with which he loves. Judah has married the daughter of a foreign god. So, you know, in terms of, of, of not following God fully, but, but connecting over in this way a, a type of spiritual adultery that's taking place, but we also see that manifesting here, here physically. In, uh, uh, as we reflect on Nehemiah's time, Nehemiah talked about at, at, the, end of, uh, at the end of the book of Nehemiah, about how the priests were, were marrying outside of, of, of the faith. And he said, hey, remember Solomon? You know, Nehemiah says, what happened to Solomon? Solomon was a wise king. What did he do? He went over here and got off into this mess. And what happened to him? He, he, he turned and, and was led into all kinds of problems. So there is a focus that, that happens both spiritually in our connection to God the Father and in our own lives as we live our lives. We marry in the faith. We marry in the faith and we connect uh, in the faith uh, be, because of the critical nature of needing to follow and walk in God's ways. He says, verse 12, May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, being awake and aware. He's like, hey, you know what you're doing. You're awake, you're aware of this, and you're going to do it anyway? Not good. Not good. The man who does this being awake and aware, yet who brings an offering and then goes around and tries to, okay, I'm bringing an offering to the Lord and it's all going to be okay. He's asking us, where are our hearts? What are our motivations? Are we really taking heed to our spirit? Because we're, we're coming up on that statement here in just a second. This is the second thing you do, he says. Verse 13, you cover the altar of the Lord with tears. There is a, a fake show of humility, yet not real repentance happening. Uh, so he doesn't, so God doesn't even offer, uh, regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill uh, from your hands. Yet you say, here's that dialectic approach again. Well, what reason? What, what do you mean? What are you talking about? I, I don't know what's going on here. Verse 14, because the eternal has been witness between you and the wife of your youth. So there were those who had married uh, and, and had been married a long time to the wife of their youth. And here they are, they've been married for, for years now, with whom you have dealt treacherously. So they were, they were putting their wives away and marrying someone else. Uh, some think a, a younger uh, person uh, was tired, uh, tired of their, their wife that they had had uh, back in their youth. So he says, with whom you've dealt treacher treacherously, yet he says, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant uh, uh, to, to never separate from a, a, a covenant for life. But did he not make them one? having a remnant of the Spirit, made them one flesh to, till death do them part, 
And why one? Why did, why did God do that? Because he seeks a godly offspring built on the foundation of a, of a healthy marriage of two individuals that are walking in God's way with a remnant of the spirit, the truth, one flesh to, to serve in that capacity to, to birth children who, who, whom also he seeks to be godly, a godly offspring to grow up and walk in his ways, that stable family. Yet through violence, the violence of divorce, they were severing that. Just a tragic situation. And, you know, we step back and, and look at uh, our, our, our country as a whole and the degree of divorce that takes place, the, the broken homes that we see. And again, brethren, you know that uh, Scripture gives reasons for divorce, uh, biblical reasons for divorce. There are biblical reasons for divorce. There are situations where that is permissible, uh, as, as Scripture uh, dictates. But there are many situations that are not, and it does, it does violence, as, uh, as we see. So it says here, verse 15, having a remnant of the Spirit. And why one? Because he seeks a godly offspring. And what does he say right after that? Take heed to your spirit. He's saying step back and think about that. Think about that. What, to what degree am I committed to my, to my mate? And, and as, as I reflect on the covenant that I made with God for this marriage for life, and do I deal with the wife of my youth that may not be in a youthful state uh, at, at whatever age of life that our, our spouses are. Do I, do I deal with her lovingly and, and in a kind and, and gentle manner because God seeks a godly offspring as, as we have a remnant of that spirit? Now, in, in today's society, uh, it, can, it can be as much the, the wife that can initiate this wrongly as the husband. Uh, the way it wasn't that way then, the, the man had the power and the authority and the wife that got put away was in a really bad state. But now the way society is set up, it, it can be uh, the woman who initiates this and, and actually causes violence in, in, in the family in that respect versus, versus the man. It, it can be either way. Uh, verse 16 gets to that violent statement. Uh, For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. God hates it. He hates it, hates to see that, for it covers one's garment with violence. Some of you probably are aware of like in, in Ruth, it talks about where uh, Boaz, you know, there's the, the covering of the garment. It was a sign of coming under the protection of the, the husband to be married, uh, to, as, as he marries that wife. It, it is to be a covering of safety, an umbrella of safety. But instead, divorce, as these men were putting away their wives, it was covering that, that garment with violence. It, it does violence to people's lives, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, he says it again, take heed to your spirit. What are, what are we thinking? What, how are we envisioning some of the challenges that we face in marriage? Are we committed to work through those? Or do we want to just take the easy way out? Forget this. This is too hard. I, uh, I'm done. And, I, and I'm looking for somebody new really soon. Uh, we see that happening uh, all around us in society. So that is uh, an element that, that uh, is, is very critical to God. I mean, God, God sees that uh, that's going on in society. And may we as, as his people pay very close attention to that and take heed to our spirit in that regard. Point five, point five, he says here, the next dialectic discussion here, verse 17 of chapter two, you have wearied the Lord with your words. Well, you, well, how have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. So where's this God of justice? So is it meaning that the person prays and talks too much when, when he or she prays? Or is it the way that he, he or she talks uh, about this and the way that the person thinks of God that God's not, not doing what he needs to be doing. He's allowing all of this and he doesn't care and in, in a sense accusing God of that. We'll leave that point uh, and come back to that in the last point because it ties to that. Uh, so we won't go, go through Ma uh, Malachi 3, 1 through uh, 6 as we covered that last time, but let, let's, let's look at number, 
number six of the issues that God takes from, uh, with them. Verse, verse seven of chapter three. He says, yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone, uh, you have gone away from my ordinances and you have not kept them. Almost all the prophets of God, as we see in the minor prophecies and, and in the ma- minor prophecies and in the major uh, prophets messages, there is this aspect of, of turning, of turning back to God. Return to me, he says. Return to me. God always wants us and gives us this opportunity as we recognize where we, we've erred, where we've slipped, where we've stumbled. He gives us that opportunity and deeply desires and is excited. When we return to him, return to me, he says, and I will return to you. Turning the hearts of the fathers to the children, turning the hearts of the children to their fathers. Uh, John the Baptist helped help them turn to the father. Uh, Elijah helped turn the people of, of Israel away from Baal and back to God. God is, is deeply desiring that, that we always stay connected to him and when we err that we return, we return. Return to me and I will return to you, he says. Well, but they say, well, how, how should we return? I don't know, what are we supposed to do? I don't get this. Uh, we know, we know how to return to God. Um, Psalm 51 tells us how. We, we know how to do that. Uh, it, is, it is the way that God sets up for his people. The seventh, the seventh point is, is one that we've referenced often over the years. It's one of the, the key passages in the Old Testament where we talk about the, the principle of tithing. Tithing. Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me? And here they say, wait a second, we haven't robbed you, God. What, what, have, we done, what have we done wrong? How have we robbed you? He says, you, you have robbed me, you've stolen from me, he says, in tithes and offerings. And as a result, you're cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. Even this whole nation, this whole nation has done that. Uh, Does this nation give a tenth to God? Uh, Do we give a tenth to God? Do we we tithe as as God tells us to in the tithes? We know that the tithes that are there, are, are we doing that? You can answer that. You know that, especially this time of year as we we come to uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, the fall festival season which is upon us. Have we faithfully tithed? Those of us who are are taking in an increase, are we faithfully tithing to God? Are we setting that aside? It is is critical. Those of you that uh, have struggled with that, you know your struggle. Those of uh, of you who have, have done that faithfully, you know the, the way that that has worked. So often uh, in our society today, it, it's fascinating how it works, that if a person says, I will give, I am committed to that. I am committed to, to proving God in this. So when, when, I get, when the income comes in and I recognize what my increase is, when, when that increase is known, I set that aside and, and get that to God. When we do that first, Things work out. We prove him. And there are many here that have said they've seen that and they are, would never, would never want to allow any thought to come in their minds to compromise on that anyway. Because you, you know, you know, I know uh, the, the blessing that, that God has in store for us and, and how, how when we do that faithfully, there is a peace and there is a calm that God is in charge of our lives. There's that way of doing that at the beginning. I get my check. There it is. There's the increase. Here's the tenth. I'm giving that to God. Versus, okay, I got my paycheck. All right, here, here are the bills. Let me start. I got to start paying this bill. I got to pay this bill. I got to pay this bill. I got to pay this bill. I got to get some food. And then where, where's the tenth? It's, it's, it's not there. I don't know that I can, I don't know that I can pay that. Uh, one minister once said uh, that, that he realized that if we do that right, even though it may not look like it's going to make work on paper, but if we do first things first, it gets taken care of. If we put it down there to the last, we'll battle with it. We'll battle with it. It's, it's just the way it works as we read on as he says what we can do. Uh, Bring all the tithes, verse 10, into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Give God what is God's first. And try me now in this, in a positive way. Prove me. This is what I say. Believe that and, and do this. 
says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be enough room to receive it. The physical blessings and the spiritual blessings that that we've been given as a result of of, of following him in in just this area alone, we know what that does uh, in, in every aspect. So that's just uh, something to consider uh, for, for us to continue to remember. And I hope that that is, uh, that is something that uh, all of us will continue to strive to do to the best of our ability. If you struggle with that and, and you need some help with that and you want some counsel, please reach out. We, we want to help. We want to help. Uh, but if you struggle with it, talk with folks that have been around for a while and ask them, and they'll tell you the miracle of what God does. It is a beautiful thing that God puts in place. And he blesses us uh, so abundantly that we can't, we can't take it all in as, as he talks about here. Let's look at the last one as we wrap things up today. And this, this ties back to this, this passage that we read in verse 17 of chapter 2. You have wearied the Lord with your words. Malachi 3, verse 13, makes this statement. Here's this dialectic approach yet one more time. God says to the people, your words have been harsh against me, as in strong, really strong language against me, says the Lord. Yet yet you say, well, wait, how how have we spoken against you? He says, well, this is how. You've said, it's useless to serve God. What profit is it that we've kept his ordinance? I've I've kept the Sabbath. I've I've kept his teachings, this and that. What's that gotten me? When I look at my situation in life, I'm struggling here, I'm struggling here, I'm struggling here. What's it really done for us? Uh, Again, I submit that as he was talking to them, they were not going back to number one, God, you loved us. Uh, and that can happen the same with us. It's useless to serve God uh, and that we've walked as mourners before the Lord of, of hosts. So now, verse 15, we call the proud blessed for those who do wickedness. Look, they, they're raised up. They get everything. They even tempt God and go free. Uh, I, I think what's going on here, uh, because of the mindset of these individuals that were not reflecting back on the love that God had extended to them in every aspect of their lives and the way that he had blessed them because they weren't seeing things clearly as, as, as they could see had, had their eyes been open to it and had they eagerly opened their eyes to it. They, they would have recognized, yes, I have been blessed, but it, it distorted their view to where they, they spoke strong against God or spoke harsh words to God. And, and that's... Uh, an area where I'd like to say uh, Burnett's pet peeve, one of the things that I have, uh, has always frustrated me that I'll sometimes hear in, uh, in evangelical uh, Christianity, this, this thing of, you know, there, there's, the, there's the thing of, of that, you know, the talk about we've, we've, we've got to interact with God. I'm, I'm not, that's not a pet peeve. That, that, that's a great thing. Interact with God. Talk to God. Pray to God. Give God your concerns and your stresses. Give those over to God. Talk to him. Pray to him about those and, and ask him to comfort you. All, all of that. Be instant in prayer. That, that's all good. But there's this statement that, that sometimes comes out, uh, a phrase that I read one time at the bottom of an, of an email, uh, one of those little phrases that, that people say and think that's okay. It's, o- it's okay to be angry with God. He can take it. How many have heard that? phrase. It's okay to be angry with God. He can take it. Yeah, he can take it. God, uh, God is a, he's a large person. He can take it. But where in scripture does it say it's okay to be angry with God? It does not say that. If we are angry with God and we recognize that we have been angry with God, what are we to do? <laughs> Repent bitterly before God. Please, God, forgive me for allowing myself to get in such a state in my mind that I actually became angry with the God who intends to give me all things out of such love and and compassion for me and for all of mankind. You are perfect in love. Please forgive me for that. Help me to walk totally in your ways and think on, on those things and write me in this. 
clear my mind in this so that I can go forward and worship you in thanksgiving. Because again, it comes back to that first point. We go wonky on, on the, the first issue and the eighth issue, as we've talked today, if we move into that realm. May we always steer clear of that. And that brings us to the concluding verse that is uh, verses that are the intriguing passages. These, these last two verses completely flip, flip the issues of the first issue. God doesn't love us. How, how has he loved us? And, and the harsh words against God, it completely flips of what we see with God's people today. And one of the most encouraging things for me, of, of being a part of, of, of the church, uh, all the years that, that I have and in and, and being a part of this congregation is to witness the individuals that I've witnessed living, living out Malachi 3, 16 and 17. This goes on in this church, and I have gained great strength from, from many of you who in your own words and by your lives have demonstrated that this is how you live. It is, it is a beautiful thing. It's a, it's a beautiful thing to see God's people working in this way. And, and may we continue to do it as, as we see this world get rougher and rougher leading up to Christ's return. Verse 16, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. The authorized King James says, spoke often. They spoke to one another. They interacted with one another. They were, they were conversing with one another and, and, and uh, spending time together. Verse, verse 16 continuing, and the Lord God listens to that. He listens and hears all of that going on, those individuals that are doing that, that are focusing their minds on the, the, the opposite of these eight things. And it says a book of remembrance. Is that book of remembrance the book of life? It, it, it may be. It, it seems to, to make sense that it might be that. But a book of remembrance was written before him, before the great God, those, for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name, as opposed to those who despised despised God. They, they meditate, they reflected, they esteem his name. This is the kind of interaction that they have with one another and how they serve, serve God. God says in, seven, in verse 17, they shall be mine. They're mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels and I'll spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. As we think about that, we think about these eight situations that he brought before them. This is what those who spoke often to one another did. They always recognized God's love for them. They honored God's name. They offered themselves as living sacrifices wholeheartedly, not in weariness, but dedicating their lives to him, dedicating their lives to him spiritually as their spiritual father, as, as the bride of Christ, dedicating themselves to their spouse, praising and thanking God with their words, not wearying him, following his ordinances, fully turning to him, especially as we, uh, as we stumble from time to time, tithing and giving our offerings faithfully, with great reverence approaching God in prayer, with our needs always being aware of his great plan. You know, Malachi is sort of a blueprint. It's a blueprint for how we are to serve God in this present evil age. And brethren, it is heartening to see your examples that you set. It's heartening to see the example that God's people set in this area. One individual that will be honoring next Sabbath as, as we mentioned uh, up, up in Sherman, is John Kylo. John Kylo, uh, those of you that knew him in his later years know that that man recognized his weaknesses, he recognized his shortcomings, he recognized the, the mistakes that he made in this life, and he recognized God's great mercy and compassion for him in, in carrying him through to his last days. He was happy to talk about that. And uh, those of us who knew him gained great encouragement and strength from his words. And I think and I believe fully that God listened and heard those words that he said as he encouraged me and others in his life. May we continue to self-examine our motivations for what we think, say, and do. And brethren, 
May we take heed to our spirit.